We are so glad that you are here at Hill City Church this morning. Uh, my name is Charlie. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, uh, my wife and I we have the great honor and privilege of pastoring um, Hill City. Why don't you go ahead and take your seats? Uh, we're going to jump into the Word um, this morning. Man, I, I got to today just give uh, just a shout out to all of our man, team that is here uh, week in and week out um, transforming a beautiful high school um, and into just a place for us to gather and worship. Uh, every week, they're special. Every week, it's incredible to see the energy, the effort. Um, people without their hair fixed, it's wonderful to see. But on days like today, I just think the church just needs to honor the people that were here this morning, setting up in the pouring rain, man, so that we could gather together in God's presence uh, Man, this is something magical that transforms, something mysterious that happens. Because I do believe um, somewhere between 7 o'clock a.m. Uh, and about 9, uh, 10, 9.15-ish, that whole process, this place changes uh, from a high school uh, to the house of God uh, today for us. And so we're grateful, uh, grateful for that. Another thing that I want to kind of, man, just kind of brag on our team and just, uh, just share with you a little bit. Uh, how many enjoyed that, that last song that we sung today? That was good, wasn't it? That was good. Um, friends, you are here for a piece of history um, today because that was the first um, Hill City original um, worship song that was uh, written, composed, all of that. Um, we know week in and week out, we have, I think, just some of the, the best hearts uh, some of the best people on our team sort of leading us into the presence of God. And we've been saying this for a while, uh, Justin and Liz and I, we've just been sort of talking and we have this sense and this feeling uh, that not only is there something tangible that God's doing in our midst, but we actually believe that there's a sound that accompanies it. I think that you can tell the story of what God is doing among people and you can do it written and you also can do it sung. And I believe that God is doing something. So I want you just to pray with us because here's what we want to do. We want to steward that. And all that means is when God entrusts us with something, man, we want to honor God with it. We want to give God back uh, all glory, all honor, all praise. Man, we're not trying to win Grammys yet. Um, but <laughs> what, what we want to do is be faithful to what God has given us and what God has graced, uh, what graced us with. And we want to steward that among our congregation. And if anyone outside of our congregation stumbles upon it, hear it, and is encouraged by it, to God be the glory. But the first, the first primary thing, we're trying to capture the activity of God, uh, and we're trying to kind of turn all of that sort of back to praise. Uh, and so today, I'm just, I'm, so, um, I'm just so proud of our team. I'm just so proud of, of, of the way they pressed in. Uh, listen to me. I've watched how they have taken this from concept, idea, prayer, scripture, and, and, he, and here we are. And I love that they let me sit in the room every now and then and just watch sort of the creative process. I've renamed their house, the Hit Factory. Um, and so I'm just excited to see all that God's going to do. And, and as we share them with you, man, here's what really will, will tell, the, tell the test of time is, man, if it is ministering and if it moves us in our congregation, man, it's a keeper. If not, we'll move on and on to the next one. Because what we're trying to do again is capture the activity of God uh, in our midst. Cool. Awesome. Hey, you ready for God's word? Yeah. Come on, Ephesians chapter 2. Meet me there. Um, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start at verse 1. 
And if you are just now jumping with us, I, I just want to tell you, I think you're here on just an incredible day and time uh, sort of at our church. We are reading through uh, Paul's letter uh, to the Ephesians. We're going through it line by line and, and really capturing, man, what is God saying there? And so our tagline for this is belief, behavior, and the mystery of God. These are all things that Paul is capturing and talking to them about. And again, I, I want to make sure that we're doing this and we're, and we're doing this work. We want to listen, not for ourselves first. We listen. What was Paul saying to them then and there so that we can, here and now, receive it in its sort of original trajectory and then make application? Man, it's a really lazy reading of the Bible if the only thing we want to get out of the Bible is three points and some application for us. Hey, God, I'm coming to the Bible to get what I want out of it. That is a real immature way of reading the Bible, and it's a great way to actually do um, damage to the Word of God, if you will. And what I mean by that is we do damage to the original intent. We do damage to what God's actually trying to say to us. So at our best, we want to try to come to the text and, and listen to what the Spirit is saying to this church so we can hear what the Spirit is saying to our church. Can I get an amen with that? All right, verse 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Turn to your neighbor and say, All. Half of y'all did it. The passions of the, our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated, and he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's bow our heads for prayer once more. Jesus, we love you and we thank you, God, for your presence. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for what you're doing in and among us. And God, we pray that we would have the courage to let you do some things through us. God, we don't want to be hearers of the word only, but we want to be also doers of the word. So God, help us in our time together. To allow your word to penetrate, Lord, our, our calloused minds. To penetrate, Lord, our crystallized methodologies that we might receive from you spirit unto spirit. So that when we leave this place, we could say one to another, I've heard from the Lord today. And I'll never be the same. Do that by your power, by your grace, by your strength. And we give you all of the praise, now and forevermore. In the precious and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Strong son of God. Amen. And amen. This is uh, perhaps, maybe, in all of the scripture, uh, the simplest and most profound explanation of the good news that I can find. What is the gospel? What is the good news? 
If you're ever confronted with that question with someone, they ask you, hey, what is it, the good news? What is the gospel of, of Jesus Christ? I, I would encourage you just to take them to Ephesians chapter 2. You don't even need to read all of Ephesians chapter 2. You don't even read, need to read the whole passage that we read. You could just land on verse 8 and be reminded that it is by grace that we have been saved. Not our effort, not our work, but it's by the grace of God. But we have to kind of get a sense of what Paul's saying. This is a connection, sort of an extension from the prayer that we sort of read and unpacked last week. Paul's continuing this thought. And much like Paul does in chapter 1, he does it again in chapter 2. As he begins to sort of get going, as Paul gets going and he sort of gets passionate about what he's writing about, he forgets to use punctuation. So when you look at this in the original sort of language, Paul again just starts to get going and he just sort of heaps this idea and he unfolds these out so that the people would sort of be able to hold it and be almost overwhelmed with man, the reality that they find themselves in. But Paul will use this phrase throughout Ephesians and you see it on display here. He says, formerly, formerly you were this. I think it's good for us all to have a good sense of who we used to be. Some of you that used to be isn't so far in your rearview mirror. Right now you feel like you're still maybe that person. Listen to me. Some of the words of Paul at the very beginning of this passage, they're strong. They're, they're difficult. They're, they're hard for us to hear because we, we, we don't want to accept and embrace the reality of our sinful nature. It, it makes us uncomfortable. We, we like the idea that we're saved by grace. But can I tell you what makes grace so much more the powerful is to recognize and understand who we are without it. And Paul's real clear, and I want us to look at the text today because Paul, he says this and he reminds them, friends. He reminds them that this is us. In other words, if we're not careful, you and I will come to the Bible and we'll do things like this. We'll read the Bible and we'll see and we'll go, mmm, that's good for them. You ever hear somebody make a point and you almost wanted to nudge the person next to you because you were hoping that they would get it? You're like, man, you know what? That's a word for them. And sometimes we do that when we read the Bible, don't we? We read the Bible and we put ourselves in the position of the hero or the heroine. You and I read the Bible and we're David fighting Goliath. We read the Bible and we're Jesus dealing with dysfunctional disciples. Can I tell you a, a better way of reading the Bible? Don't read your, yourself into the hero position. When you read the narrative of David and Goliath, don't read yourself as David. Read yourself as Goliath. How many times have we come against the way and the will of God? How many times with we in our our attitude and our disposition? Have we come against the plans that God has desired to do? How many of us in our behaviors? Maybe we don't align with Goliath. You're like, Charlie, I have a difficult time aligning with Goliath. Give me somebody else in the text. Sure, I'll give you someone else. David's brothers. David's brothers who were on the sidelines, who should have been engaging, chose to sit out, whether for fear, for comfort. And their brother was bringing them cheese sandwiches. A charcuterie board, maybe. And, and here they are, sort of perplexed by the courage in someone else. And the courage in someone else is not only just perplexing to them mentally, but it's always frustrating. It's also frustrating to them in the interior part of their life. You ever been so convicted that it actually turned into anger towards somebody else? Convicted by their behavior, convicted by the way in which they were doing things right, and you're like, mm, I don't like them anymore. 
I don't want to spend time with them anymore. And it, it's because you're frustrated because who they are is actually reminding you of who you're not. If we're not careful, we'll read the Bible and we put ourselves in the position of David. That's an easy read. That's a simple read. That's an immature read. It's a way to read it. But also a danger one. If you and I are always identifying with the hero, we will never have the posture of humility in our life that will bring us to the foot of the cross and in need of Jesus to save us. To redeem us. One of my great fears for us as a church, one of my great fears for you, one of my great fears for me is we will get so comfortable in grace that we will forget the way in which Ephesians chapter 2 starts out. Paul says, This is us. It's not them, it's not other people. It's us. And let's go even deeper, not just communally, it's me, it's you. And look at what he says, look at the phrases, look at the words that he uses. He says that we were dead. And the two words he uses there for sin, trespasses and sin, it really captures the whole idea of what our sinful nature looks like. And I want us to be aware of what sin is talking about. Sin can be stepping out of bounds. Right now my, my, my kids are playing lacrosse. There's a lot of rules sort of in lacrosse that I'm still sort of figuring out. Uh, one of them is you are allowed to beat up another kid with a stick. That seems to be legal. What's crazy to me is if you hit them in the head, that's a penalty. Their head has a helmet. The rest of their body, not so much, but that's fair game. Just hit them as hard as you can. What seems to be a really sort of very clear demarcation of right and wrong in this game are the in lines, out of bound lines. You step out, it's a whistle. You lose possession of the ball. Very, very clear, you stepped out of bounds. This is one definition and one way for us to understand sin. And we just stepped out of bounds. I love the cultural phrase that goes around sort of now, talk about being out of pocket. Just being out of pocket. You weren't behaving properly. You were out of pocket. You were out of bounds. You stepped out. It happens to us from time to time, doesn't it? Every part of, of our lives is not going to be perfect all the time. Can I get an amen? We're human. So what we need to be aware of are where are the lines and when am I stepping out? That's part of discipleship. That's part of growing in grace. That's part of having a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. As you and I mature when we were younger, that was the gift that God gave us in our parents. As we're older, we're kind of having to figure it out. I remember my mom praying this over my, my life, and it is what I pray over us as a, as a church. God, give us such a sensitivity to your spirit that when we step out of bounds, it would prick our heart. That there would be that. Ah. The danger is, friends, you and I have gotten too, too comfortable with the pricks of the Holy Spirit and they don't, they don't capture our attention in the same way that it used to. This is what we need to do when we come back into moments of worship, when we come back to moments where we're in the scripture. We say, God, once again, would you renew my heart? Once again, would you tenderize me? I don't want to be callous. I don't want to be dead in my sins and my trespasses. I don't want to be stuck in just this sort of stepping out of bounds. The other way in which we talk about Sin, and the other way in which Paul talks about sin, is this idea of missing the mark. 
The, the illustration here is if we are sort of at, at an archery target. If over here there is this sort of massive circular target and there are outside rings and there's an inside ring and then there is a bullseye. And if I'm standing over here and I've, I've got my bow and arrow and I, and I pull back and I, and I take a shot and if I hit directly in the center of that bullseye, man, I've hit the target. I hit precisely where I was aiming. But if I miss the target, I'm offline, I'm, I'm off center, I'm off path. There, there could be quite a few reasons why one would miss the target. Maybe I'm standing wrong. Maybe my aim's wrong. Maybe I'm, I'm looking out the wrong eye. Maybe my, my posture is off. Maybe the way in which I'm letting go isn't as smooth as it needs to be. There's so many factors that could come into it. And some of those factors might be me. Some of those factors might be the wind. If, if there's a lot of wind and I've got distance here, I've actually got to account for that in my aim and in my, in my shot. So sin, friend, friend is, is us stepping out of bounds, and it's us missing the mark. This is going to happen. What Paul's saying is you just have to be aware that we were dead to rights because these things, not only have they been true, but they are true. We all have sinned and trespassed against God. He, said, he covers this and he says, listen, these are passive and these are active. Sometimes in your life there are, friend, there are sins of commission and sins of omission. I heard one prayer from, from church tradition recently and I, and I just find it to be and helpful. It's wonderful language that maybe you'll capture as well. He says, God, forgive me for the things done and the things left undone. God, forgive me for the things in my life that I've, I've done, and forgive me for the things in my life that I have undone. You see, the, the challenge for us, if we're not careful, we hear Paul's words, and it says that we were dead in our transgressions, and yet when we look in the mirror, we don't look dead. Well, we see people around us, and we're like, well, they don't look dead. Jesus approaches the Pharisees in the same way. He says, you are whitewashed tombs. He says, externally, you look just fine, but internally, you're dead man's bones. You and I cannot buy the fool's gold of external sort of looks. Outside, we may hold all things together. You and I have met people who we thought in our minds everything was going well. And over a cup of coffee or maybe a longer conversation, we began to realize what I perceived on the outside is not what's happening on the inside. Anybody ever have a friend and you go to their house and the way in which they present themselves to you is not the way that their house looks? Meaning they're all put together and you go over to their house and their kitchen is a mess? Rule of thumb, I don't eat food out of any, from anybody that I haven't seen what their kitchen looks like. Hello. Think about that. That'll change your life. You and I, if we're not careful, we will always take sort of a, an inventory of a situation, of a person, of a relationship. And if we stop at the external, we actually may miss what's going on inside. Paul says the way that you were living, the way that you once were, the way that we all were, that we were, we were dead. He then goes on to say not only were we dead, but we were enslaved. And enslaved to who? Who were we in bondage to? 
We were in bondage to the world. We were in bondage to our flesh. We were in bondage to the devil. And Paul says it this way, the world, that there was a system in a way in which you were operating, in a way in which we were invited to operate. And Paul says you bought into that. You were walking and you were living according to the ways of the world. He says that your, your, your flesh, your sinful nature, your fleshly desires, and oftentimes when Paul's using the word flesh, he's not talking about like our skin. He's talking about the desires that we so long to fulfill and the desires that we so long to want to satisfy. And yes, we can talk about sexual. Yes, we can talk about physical. We can talk about all those things. But at the core of it, do you, do you know the desire that, that Paul's really getting at here is the self-centered nature of you and me? He says the sinful nature, it's the self-centered nature of humanity that Jesus came to redeem. Why? Because pattering our life after Jesus means what? We have to embrace self-denial. That is the other side of the coin to self-centeredness. And listen to me, all of us here have moments of self-centered decisions. We have moments where we are wanting to do things just for us. And here's where I'm concerned with our culture. Here's where I'm concerned with the message of culture, with the way of the world and our self-centeredness. Is people will invite you in the, in the name of self-care to only care about yourself. And listen to me, you and I have to have a tension and a rhythm between caring for ourselves and being healthy and being whole. But please don't do that at the expense of self-sacrifice. Because the way of Jesus is not self-preservation. The way of Messiah, the way of Jesus, is not, let me protect my interests only. Let me make sure I'm at my best. Like, listen to me just for a second, and I don't want to go off on a tangent because I'll get myself in trouble. Read, read the current cultural climate of seeking self-care at such a high value. Read Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane through that lens. How does that play out? God, I'm not so sure if this is good for my mental health. I need to take a break here. Now listen to me. You know me and I'm saying these things and you know my heart. Listen, I have been to therapy. I will continue to go to therapy. I got a team of counselors. I don't need just one. I need a, man, I need a team, like the dream team of them. Listen, I'm, I'm all for that. Do the work. I'm in for that. What I'm not in for is, is, a, is, a, is a body of people that claim to be following Christ, and we, we look at self-denial as like, nah, that ain't for me, player. And I'm going, no, 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 that's precisely what we are called into. We were enslaved by the world. We were enslaved by the flesh. We were enslaved by the devil. We were following what the Bible says is the prince of the air. And some of you in your minds, you're going, man, I never, I never said I was following the devil. Your passive following of Jesus is an affirmative of actually following the devil. God, that's good preaching. There is a, is a the passivity in us, if we're not careful, we'll declare our allegiance whether we like it or not. He says you were dead. He says that you were enslaved. We were condemned. Listen to Paul's language. And here's language that I want us to get familiar with and comfortable hearing. We were children of wrath. We were children of wrath. Paul says this, that wrath, wrath is it's God's personal, righteous, consistent hostility towards evil. It's his, it's his settled refusal 
to compromise with it. And it's his resolve to condemn it. Now listen to me. On one hand, I want you to feel the weight of our sinful nature. We were dead, we were enslaved, we were condemned. Now here's the problem that I see in our culture currently. When we're reading texts like this, here's what we do. We read up to the point of verse 3 and we stop. We read up to verse 3 and we stop. We're dead, we're enslaved, we're condemned, there's no hope. And we spiral into that place. We spiral into places of, of identity being sort of shattered and broken. Because we read words like this and we're like, oh, this is terrible. It is terrible. It is terrible. If verse 1 through 3 is all that there was, this is a nightmare, friends. But can we just draw our attention to verse 4 and remember the way that Paul's writing this? Paul's wanting them to see this as one continual thought. He says, listen, yes, you were children of wrath. Yes, you were condemned. Yes, you were enslaved. But God. But God, who is rich in love. But God, because of his kindness, because of his mercy. What Paul's saying is, listen, friends, see with your eyes, embrace the reality that we could not get ourselves out of the trouble in which we created for ourselves. Some of it has been decisions we've made, and some of it has been handed down to us. Some of you need to hear that today and allow that to give you a little bit of relief. Some of your dysfunction, friends, you inherited it. But through the grace and the power of Jesus, you can leave some of that behind. You don't have to keep carrying on generational issues just because they've been generational issues. Some of you, your marriage is the one that's actually going to reset your families. Some of you, you're the one that's actually resetting the balance in your family because you are choosing to devote your life to Christ. You're not staying in verse 1 through 3. You're living in the reality of verses 4 through 10. But God and Paul goes on to say this. He says, look what Christ has done and what Paul paints is this picture of that we should have unity in the body of Christ. And unity in the body of Christ will only happen in so much as we are unified with him. If we're trying to make this work without this being primary, without our attention and our devotion being to Christ first, then ideas of unities and conversation about unity is, is it's a waste of time, to be honest with you. Paul says this. He, he wants us to see what Christ has done. And I love the way that this is articulated by one writer. He said that Jesus became what we were so that we could become what he is. He became what we were so that we could become who he is. Now, why did God do this? Here's a question that some of you, you, you want to get your mind around. You're like, man, why would, why would Jesus do this for us? Why would he rescue us? Why would he redeem us? Why would he break bondages? Listen to what the text says. Can I teach you something in your life? Listen to the text. Listen to what the Bible says. I trust the tradition of the church at large. I trust the word of God. And there's sometimes, if we're not careful, we're going to add stuff to the word like we think we need to emphasize some stuff. This is a passage of scripture for it, friends. 
that can do the work, can do the heavy lifting. So look at what it says. God's mercy, God's love, God's kindness, God's grace. This is why God did it. All throughout Ephesians, you see the theocentric nature of the letter, that God is not an onlooker. God is not just peering over the balcony of heaven going, <laughs> man, they're in a world of trouble now. What are we going to do? Oh, let me send somebody else. Let me think about this. No, no, no. God is in. God is in the story. God is participating. God is the one who is doing the heavy lifting. God's mercy is saving us from what I deserve. God's grace is giving me what I don't deserve. God's kindness, God's love, these are critical themes in us understanding how and why and who Jesus is. He said it's by grace that you've been saved. Salvation, grace, and faith, these are three foundational words of the good news. Salvation, grace, faith. Salvation is more than forgiveness. It doesn't eliminate forgiveness, but it is more than forgiveness. It is deliverance from the death, slavery, and wrath that is described in verse 1 through 3. What are we being saved from? We are being slaved. We're being saved from being enslaved, from being dead in our sin and being condemned. It includes the totality of our new life in Christ. In him... We have been made alive. Do you want to know what it is to be fully alive? It is to be unified and in Christ. It's as simple and it is as profound as that. Grace, it is God's free and undeserved mercy. And our faith is the humble trust that we, that we place in God and we receive it from ourselves. Can I just give you a word of caution? I've grown up in church and I've heard this verse just begin to sort of lose the emphasis on grace and the, and the overemphasis on our faith. It is the grace of God that saves you. And it is also a grace of God by which you and I have faith. In other words, our faith and trust in God isn't even ours. It's the grace of God that enables me to have faith in him. It's the spirit of God that deposits these things into me. Paul's been saying it. All of the spiritual inheritance, all the spiritual blessings, those are put into us by way of the spirit. So my faith is not even my own thing that I get to brag about. Paul knows us. He knows that church and he knows our church. He knows humanity. How easily we would take the goodness and the grace of God and turn it into something that we could brag about. He says, no man can boast about this because this is God's work and God's work alone. Final thing I'll leave you with today is simply this. It's an invitation. In the beginning of the passage, Paul talks about you used to walk this way. And at the end of the passage that we read today, now what is he saying? I want you to now walk this way. And he wants you to walk in an understanding that your good works are proof of your salvation. Salvation was never intended for you and I to enjoy and then sit on the sidelines. Salvation overwhelms us. And if we have truly experienced it, 
then we have to enter into the good works that God has set aside for us to do since the very beginning of all things. So part of what we must discover in our lives, friends, is what good works has God created for me to do? Or even another way of saying it, what have I been created to do? Paul's language there is wonderful. If you read another translation, you would see the word masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. Look how Paul uses language at the beginning of what we once were, but now who we are in Christ Jesus. Don't let the enemy of your soul keep you in verses 1 through 3 where God all along was trying to bring you all the way in and understanding that it's by grace we've been saved. It's the gift of God. But there is a reason you were saved from things and you are saved for things. And now, friends, let's get about the work of figuring out what those things were. Well, what did he save us for? If you're like me, it's real clear what he saved us from. Paul does a great job of telling us that. What you saved me, f- what you saved me for, God? What's the purpose you have on my life? What's the plan you have on my life? Man, what would it look like if our lives were postured in that way when we were thinking about launching into a new endeavor? We were thinking about pivoting. We were thinking about changing. We we were thinking about changes in the dynamics of our lives. What what if we took it before the Lord and we said, listen, I know that I'm not my own. I've been bought. I've been paid for with a price. But God, I also know that you have purposed me. What does it look like? Praying for students all over the, the country that will make declaration of what school they're going to go to. My prayer is that that decision is not going to be solely about what mascot they love, what's maybe closest to home. I know finances are a big deal, but it shouldn't even be the biggest thing when we're, you, you know what needs to be the biggest thing? God, what do you have for me? What's your purpose? What's your plan for my life? We are God's masterpieces created in Christ Jesus to do good, to do good. I think one of the challenges that God is probing and nudging us as a, as a collective body together is this. And might you receive this as we close. You've received the salvation from some things. Now step into the salvation for some things. Church, would you pray with me? Father, we love you. God, we are grateful for your grace. We're grateful, God, for your mercy. Apart from you, we can do no good thing. But in you, we can do all that you have purposed and planned and called us to do and to be. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just want to give you the opportunity. Are you here and you'd say, Charlie, I want to, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to embrace this gift that God has given me. The Bible's clear, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And that his death, burial, and resurrection atones for our sins. 
to moving from that verses 1 through 3 to stepping into the rest of the passage. It's but God. Yes, you were this. Yes, you were caught in that. Yes, you've done that. But God, his love, his mercy is rich. Are you here? And on the count of three, you say, Charlie, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to receive the free gift of salvation by grace and through the faith that God has deposited in me. If that's you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, would you lift your hand right where you are? I want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. Well, church, let's stand to our feet all across the room. Here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to ask us to pray. I'm going to pray this prayer out loud. I'm going to pray it together. You don't know the person sitting next to you. They might have raised their hand. They may be making that decision right here, right now. And to submit and surrender their life to the Lord. Profess Jesus as their, their Savior. So let's just pray this real strong together. Just letting, letting them know that we're with them. Even from the very, very beginning. We pray, Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for dying on a cross for things I deserved. I believe, I receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. So church, my prayer is that we would leave this place that our eyes would be open, that our hearts would be in tune, that we would not lose sight from the depths of which we have been redeemed and we have been restored. But may we not drown in that knowledge. May our lives be led, may our lives be renewed by the good news that because of the richness, the mercy and the grace and the love of our great God, that you and I are alive in Christ and seated with him in heavenly places. Go in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We love you so much, church. We'll see you next week.